Good morning. This is Jake Brown, and I'm the preacher at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m., and you can find us at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. We love to meet new people, and we love to make ourselves available to help others learn the true story of who Jesus is what he did, why he did it, and how to personally get in on the story. Well, it's just about time for the sermon to start, so turn up the volume, tune out the distractions, and it's my prayer that you find this morning's message engaging and meaningful. This morning we are moving on to Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, the majority of this first chapter that we're going to cover today is concerning God's righteous retribution, i.e. God doling out his just punishment to those whom he has uh, announced or forewarned have it coming. And for that reason, I'm calling this message righteous retribution. But Paul makes it his main point as a means of encouragement, actually. He explains God's righteous retribution as a way to encourage the Thessalonians to continue uh, persevering, persevering faithfully through all of the, the persecutions and the afflictions that they've been facing, are facing, will continue to face. He, he's explaining to them, one day it's all going to be made right. And so with that being the context, we actually end up with more than just a simple lesson on eternal punishment. We get a few different lessons, and we're going to look at each one of those this morning. So let's go ahead and jump right into the text here, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, you may notice, uh, begins in a way that is almost identical to his first letter. It was sent by the same three guys, Paul, uh, Silas, and Timothy. It was undoubtedly also sent from Corinth, just like the first letter, since Corinth is where we find all three of these guys together at this time. And of course, we know that this is a letter to Christians in Thessalonica because Paul addresses the letter very plainly, right? He says, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 2, Paul gives his common Christian greeting and well wishes here. Uh, nothing odd or, or even necessarily uh, you know, terribly interesting in, in that verse there. But as we move beyond the signatures and the addressees, we come to the true content of the letter. Verse 3 is where Paul starts into the meat of the message. And it's these next few verses that we're going to read here where we find our first lesson. Lesson number one is relief for the righteous is coming. Relief for the righteous is coming. Look at verse 3 with me here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. So just from what we read right here, we know 
that the Thessalonians are righteous in the sight of God. Because Paul says it is only fitting that they always give thanks to God for these guys. Brethren like the Thessalonians are are, are certainly a, a true and real, genuine blessing from God. And so, yes, they ought always to give thanks to God for them. Look at the picture here of these righteous Thessalonian Christians. Their faith is, as Paul says, greatly enlarged. This phrase that Paul uses here means um, like a spectacular harvest, like flourishing produce. It means growing beyond ordinary degree. This is what Paul is saying here about their faith and specifically the increase in their faith and their love. The Thessalonians are so strong in their love. Now, we're not talking about the emotion, like the, the way we use love a lot of times, but they're caring and they're providing for the needs of others, for their brethren and for all people. The rubber hits the road with these guys. Paul seems to be thrilled here by their love. He says their love for one another grows ever greater. Verse 4, he says, Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. So Paul speaks proudly to other churches about the Thessalonian church. Did you see why? Perseverance and faith through persecutions and afflictions. I mean, when you read this, you just think, what more does a church need? And can I also ask the question, can a church survive with anything less? I'm going to be real honest here. The church today could sure use a healthy dose of this kind of perseverance and faith in the midst of persecutions and afflictions. Now, you got to understand, there's a difference between persecutions and afflictions, okay? Persecutions are um, these completely intentional acts of harm that are performed by a person or, or even a group of people against another person or group of people. Afflictions, on the other hand, can be anything that brings pain or suffering or difficulty, okay? Afflictions are not always brought on by other people, right? Now, the Thessalonians were surrounded by people who truly persecuted them, right? People who would form angry mobs at the drop of a hat. People who would beat down doors to find Christians. They were surrounded by people who would drag Christians into the town square and make up blatant lies designed to land them in prison. The Thessalonians faced true persecutions and afflictions, Paul says here. Today, the church is faced with an affliction like COVID-19, and we wilt, genuinely scared to death. Now, we can be smart and not spread it around with reckless abandon. I'm all for that. I mean, you all know what great lengths we've gone to in an effort to be safe around here at Liberty Christian Church. But for crying out loud, I thought we weren't supposed to be afraid to die. I mean, did I miss something? Like, I don't want to die just to be dying, but I thought that when we were performing acts of faith, i.e. sharing the gospel, serving others, praying with others, going to church, I was pretty sure we were supposed to just go ahead and do those things regardless of the consequences. That's what I thought Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, when he said, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You guys, saving our physical rear ends and forsaking our eternal souls is a bad trade. 
Church, I want you to understand that it is no small thing that Paul is talking about here when he speaks of the Thessalonians' perseverance and faith in the midst of all their persecutions and afflictions which they endure. Look at verse 5. He says, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. It's common for Christians to ask the question, why are bad things happening to me? I thought God was on my side. I thought God was fighting for me. It's a deep subject to try to figure out, but here's all you need to know. Number one, keep living faithfully, keep serving, keep obeying, keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing for the kingdom of God. And number two, understand and embrace the fact that when you're living right, God's word says you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be insulted. You're going to be mistreated. You're going to be afflicted. Guys, it's supposed to happen. And we're supposed to endure it with perseverance and faith. If we don't, we're on the wrong track. Our text says that successfully navigating these difficulties are a requirement to be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Look at Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 27 and 28 with me here. Paul's writing here also. He says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now listen to verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. Isn't that interesting? When you faithfully power through the trials, the afflictions, the persecutions, the insults, the scary situations, it's a sign to those who oppose Christ that Christianity is legitimate. It's a sign that you're living for something real. It's a sign that you're on the path to salvation, which naturally means that they are on a path to eternal destruction. According to Jesus, it's actually a blessing to suffer for the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecute the prophets who were before you. Do you hear that, guys? Heaven is coming for those who endure with perseverance and faith. In verse 6 of our text this morning, Paul says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And verse 7 goes on to say, And to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed. When the Lord returns to announce the final verdict for each and every soul, he's coming to give relief to the righteous. He's coming to give rest to those who have wearied themselves in his service. So church, we need to step up. We need to be bold. We need to be strong. We need to be confident in Christ. We need to trust him. We need to endure with perseverance and faith the persecutions and afflictions that we face. And when the Lord returns, all these wrongs are going to be made right for eternity. 
All the suffering will be turned to joy. All the tears will be turned to, to smiles and laughter. The righteous will be given relief. The second lesson that we learn from Paul is that retribution for the unrighteous is coming. Retribution for the unrighteous is coming. On the same day, when, when final and eternal relief is given to the righteous, retribution will be dealt out to the unrighteous. Look at uh, picking up in the, the middle of verse 7 of our text, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, around the middle of verse 7, and we'll read verse 8 as well. It says, The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So according to this passage, Jesus is going to be dealing out retribution to two groups, right? Those who do not know God, that's group number one, and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, that's group number two. Now, let's talk about group number one. Why would the Lord punish those who don't, quote, know him? Well, first of all, it's important to understand that no one is being punished because they don't know who he is. Those people will be punished, but not because they don't know who he is. People are punished for sin, okay? And Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And secondly, everyone knows there is a God. Everyone knows there is moral right and wrong. Everyone recognizes beauty. Everyone recognizes and appreciates order. These kinds of things are obviously hardwired into us. Everybody knows there's a higher power, a creator, a designer of, of ourselves and everyone and everything around us. There is evidence for God. There is no evidence for this creation having come from absolutely nothing. That breaks the, the very laws of nature that, that, that govern this world, that, that we know and that we have experienced and continue to experience. Everybody knows there's a God, but not everyone seeks him. They know what is right and wrong, yet they still choose wrong. They know that murder is wrong, but they do it. They know that stealing is wrong, but they do it. They know there is a God, but they don't seek him or try to honor him. Many are guilty of suppressing what they know. Romans chapter 1 speaks to this. Starting in verse 18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are, what? It says, without excuse. Everybody knows there's a God, but not everyone seeks him or acknowledges him as God. And so in that way, they do not know God. And in that way, they are without excuse. And then, of course, there's group number two here, which consists of those who hear the gospel, they, they, they hear the good news that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day, but they refuse to obey the gospel. They refuse to respond obediently to the gospel. They are rejecting Jesus's sacrifice for their sins. And so naturally, these ones who don't obey the gospel will also receive God's righteous retribution or repayment for their obstinance. 
The next verse of our text gives us an indication of what that retribution is going to be. Verse 9 says, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. God's penalty for sin, the penalty that's going to be received by those who don't know him and those who do not obey the gospel, it's going to be an eternal penalty. Now, some of the, the stubborn folks who refuse to seek God and refuse to obey the gospel, they read this and they see the words eternal destruction and, and they read this or translate this in their minds as instant annihilation or a quick and forever end of you know any sort of existence whatsoever. And people, Christians, believers who have non-Christian friends will sometimes somehow also wish that this was the case, that, that perhaps, maybe just maybe, hell will just be a burning with fire until there's nothing left of that person. But the phrase here is eternal destruction. It does not say that these ones will be destroyed, past tense, destroyed for eternity. These ones will experience a state of eternal destruction forever being destroyed, dismantled, ruined, undone, broken down, and so on. And then we can't discount the last part of that verse, which says that these ones will be sent away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You see, the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous on the day of judgment is the difference between never with the Lord and ever with the Lord. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells us exactly what the day of judgment will be like. And in verse 41, he says, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Did you hear those words? Jesus said, Depart from me, right? Away from me. Sounds just like our text. And these ones who are being sent away from the presence of of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You guys, no man or woman, believer or unbeliever, has ever experienced a moment of being completely separated from the Lord. God is working in this world. He, he's providing in this world. Directly or indirectly, everyone has experienced the effects of living in a world where God is involved. However, those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel will never again be with the Lord after that day. On the flip side, the righteous will be ever with the Lord. Remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Remember when we talked about that uh, several weeks ago in this message series? Paul was discussing the reward of the faithful when Jesus returns, right? He was talking about those who had died in Christ and how they were going to return with the Lord when he comes back uh, to, to announce judgment and that, that those who are alive and remain when Jesus returns with these faithful saints, they also will be taken up to meet them in the air. And he says in verse 17, And so we shall always be with the Lord. We are truly talking about the difference between never with the Lord and ever with the Lord. Now, which one will you choose? The obvious answer is ever with the Lord, right? The obvious answer is I want to be eternally saved and rewarded rather than eternally punished. 
And so that makes lesson number three one that must be understood. And I'll be quick with this one, but lesson number three is this. God must be glorified. God must be glorified. Look at our text again. Look at verse 10, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 10 says, When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. Jesus is returning to be glorified by those who spent their lives glorifying him. And verse 11 says, To this end also we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Paul continues to pray for these Thessalonian Christians that they would live a life of glorifying God for a purpose, right? So that ultimately they would be considered worthy by God. Now, notice that Paul specifically says that our God will count you worthy of your calling. You see, we can't be worthy of heaven. We've sinned. We're, we're flawed. We've defiled ourselves. We, we cannot be worthy of heaven by our own merit, but we have been called by God to live in a certain way, and God can count us worthy. God can consider us worthy in his mind, worthy of our calling. And when we strive throughout our life to live according to that calling, then God can count us worthy. He can count us worthy of entering into his eternal kingdom. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. See, God has called us to obey the gospel and then to love, to serve, to come out from the world and to live with humility and gentleness and patience because that is our calling. The instructions we receive through his written word, this is our calling. When we live out that calling, God can count us worthy. And finally, verse 12 says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. If we'll glorify God through living for him, we will be glorified when Jesus returns. Now, our glory will be in the fact that finally we will be vindicated for, for everything that we've suffered in this life, everything we've given up, every difficult but right decision that we had to make, every time we stood up for Christ and every time that we were mistreated for his sake. All of creation will know on that day that we made the right choice in glorifying God with our lives. So what will you do with this chapter of Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians? It all sounds so simple. It all sounds so obvious. It's also very clear, right? Choose the right and be rewarded. Refuse and receive God's righteous retribution. The part where it gets complicated, though, is when the right choice is right in front of you, but you're just not sure if you're willing to do what you know is right. This pandemic has put a lot of choices in front of us. It's testing each and every single one of us, and we either pass or we fail, right? We, we honor God or we don't. We persevere or we wilt. 
we claim to have faith or we prove that we have faith. Let me encourage you this morning to choose wisely. As we finish things up here this morning, I'd like to ask those of you listening on the radio right now, have you obeyed the gospel? Before you answer that, let's make sure we know what the gospel is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But what is it? What is the gospel? We know what it does. We know uh, the power that it holds. But what is the gospel? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the Bible interprets itself here. The, the Apostle Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So, there are three main statements that make up the gospel. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day. The Bible teaches us that his death paid the price for our sin, and his resurrection made eternal life possible for us. So now that we understand what the gospel is, let's get back to our question, how do we obey the gospel? I want to read Romans chapter 6, just verses 3 and 4 for you, and I want you to listen and see if you can hear all three parts of the gospel being played out here, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Did you catch that? Did did you find the three parts of the gospel there? When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are baptized into Christ's death. When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are buried with Christ. And finally, when we are baptized, we are raised up as Christ was raised from the dead so that we too will walk in newness of life. Now folks, the Bible makes it clear you must believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. According to several scriptures, for instance, Matthew 16, 16, John 1, 1, John 1, 14, John 8, 58, Colossians 2, 9, and Hebrews 1, 8. According to those passages, we learn that Jesus is the Christ, the one who would come to save us from our sins. We learn that he is the son of the living God. We learn that he himself is God, one of the three distinct personalities that make up God. And we learn that he is God the Son who came to earth in human form. Folks, we must hear the gospel and believe it. We must trust Jesus completely. We must make a distinct turn away from sinful living and toward God's holiness and righteousness. The Bible calls this change in our behavior repentance. 
We must confess our belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, we must obey the gospel through baptism. That's where we're immersed in water by the authority of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is indeed where we are baptized into Christ's death, into his burial, and raised up to newness of life by the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from death. And Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16 make it clear that at our baptism, our sins are forgiven, washed away. 1 Peter 3.21 literally says, baptism saves us. Galatians 3.26-27 teaches us that through faith and as a result of our baptism, we become children of God, clothed with Christ. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, keep listening and we'll tell you how you can get in touch with us in just a moment. I'm Jake Brown, and on behalf of the church, I want to thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, just call 812-273-1518. Or you can also reach out to us on Facebook by searching for Liberty Christian Church, Madison, Indiana. Or you can send us a message directly from our website, www.liberty-christian.com. But again, we'd love to have you join us in person if you're physically able to do so. We love you, God loves you, and it is our prayer that he will bless you this week as you seek his truth. Mm -hmm.